0: Sports professor Riccardo, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Haro, inside the 1.3 trillion dollar business of sports. And this is a tremendous holiday from a business perspective. You have the NBA quadruple header. World Cup finishes with a big bang. NFL playoffs on the way. College basketball just around the corner. And on and on. Let's talk about the deal-making issues three-to-one. Three. DraftKings FanDuel MGM breached by cyber attacks, and some patrons compromised, we were told. Online operations not compromised. BetMGM, however, coordinating with new law enforcement to figure it out. Bad actors able to sign on and use credentials obtained from an unknown third-party source to gain access to some user accounts, DraftKings spokespeople told U.S. Uh, ESPN. And as of Last week, many FanDuel users tweeting that FanDuel sending them alerts of hacking attempts on their accounts. The bottom line is this is a story which will obviously continue to unfold. Two. Americans watch more World Cup than March Madness, believe it or not. Ask most Americans to name the biggest sports competitions on US airwaves, they'll name the Super Bowl, World Series, March Madness and NBA, but they watch more World Cup than March Madness in 2022. Fox Sports strategy and analyst uh, guru Michael Mulvahill had some impressive numbers relating to 2022 World Cup events, told us and told everybody that March Madness is fine, but the total number of World Cup viewers in America has been significant. The average English language viewership up 30% over 2018. One Talk about another sport, the NBA. Viewership dipped entering the Christmas games. The average share, 2.7, up 4% from last year, but the linear may be down and the bottom line might be waiting for Christmas. Clearly, the Christmas games are the all-inclusive boost that the NBA usually gets to effectively kick off the season. Not uh, less than uh, many wags in the industry have said the NBA really doesn't start until Christmas, and clearly this is another example. And that's deal-making issue number one. And as we focus on all of these, what does it have in common? Television, content, entrepreneurialism, and yet a new sports entity enters the fray, Scripps Sports with Brian Lawler, who's been the local media president of Scripps since 2009. He started then with 10 O&O's, 61 today, including the acquisition of Ion, and effectively as you'll hear covers 100% of the US markets. We talked to Brian as an industry leader entering a new phase for him and a new phase for Crips Script uh, Sports. The bottom line is the 1.3 trillion dollar business of sports largely because of streaming, new media, esports, gaming and otherwise. I give you Brian Lawler. Kind of do the elevator speech since 2000 uh, from from like uh, early in the career until Scripps in 2009.
1: Yeah, early in the career, uh, you know, started in the business and yeah. in, uh, in, uh, local advertising, you know, banging on doors of furniture stores and car dealerships and, and moved up that way. Got into um, sales management uh, early in my career and, and bounced around a little bit in South Florida, West Palm Beach, Miami, back to West Palm. And then um, eventually moved up inside of Scripps, became a GM of the NBC in West Palm and uh 2008 i was asked to move to the corporate headquarters and uh back then we had nine tv stations and 10 markets and uh, i was asked to uh run the group at that time and uh 14 years later uh 61 stations 41 markets um it was a, a heck of a run I was the chair of the abc affiliate board at one point the chair of the nbc affiliate board at one point and i think that was re- where i really you know, had the opportunity to get exposure to some of the larger sports deals. You know, in those role, uh, roles, was working with people like De- Dick Ebersol at NBC as they were yep. trying to put together you know a big long-term uh, Olympic deal and some of the NFL deals. Worked with uh, ABC, and you know, my role as chair of the ABC affiliate board there, you know, really was trying to uh, help them understand the opportunity to bring more sports away from ESPN and over to ABC. And um, so when Jimmy Pitaro took over running uh, uh ESPN, a couple of weeks later, I was up in, in um, Connecticut and meeting with him and kind of talking about how, you know, maybe a- ABC could play a bigger role and the affiliates could be more supportive, uh, bringing sports over. And so, uh, you know, I, I feel like I've been hanging around sports and help, you know, support, uh, you know, what many of the deals that ultimately wound up in, in broadcast and supported many of the affiliates around the country.
0: Well, Brian, you know, the, the evolution of the sports business has been clear from the old Wild West days to date. We have a, a book that just celebrated kind of the 50th anniversary of the sports business, broadly defined. But one of the pieces that I think has gone through the largest evolution has been, has been media. You know, there were obviously times where local O&O and then local media uh, opportunities prevailed. And then the regionals with the rights deals yeah. and then the evaluation and evolution of that. Uh, you know, kind of the thumbnail history of that from your perspective and how you guys are very well equipped today to be on top of that food chain. Yeah, look, I think you're spot on. I think if you go back to, you know,
1: 70s into the 80s and even before, you know, sports rights were on television, right? And so I grew up in, in Long Island. And so the Mets were on WOR Channel 9 and the Yankees were on picks and it was free over the air broadcast and everyone got to see it. You watched every game and you listened to every game. And then, you know, in the 80s, as cable started to gained a lot of momentum. The launch of ESPN, and you know, suddenly there were more sports and and you know more brands around sports. And then suddenly regional sports networks started to come as as cable and satellite was exploding. And really, there wasn't a lot of innovation that happened then. You know, kind of over a twenty almost thirty year period. Um, but then all of a sudden, this fragmentation started, and suddenly um, you know uh, all these new platforms were emerging, and now consumers started cutting the cord and going to all these different platforms. And suddenly the regional sports network started to lose customers and lose momentum. And, you know, and then, uh, You know, all these new platforms allow for even more sports and more channels and and even further fragmentation. And, you know, unfortunately, now it's got to a point where there's complete confusion. And okay, so it's Thursday. Wait, is my game on? No, it's not on ABC or NBC. It's not on ESPN. Oh, that's right. It's on Amazon. Do I have an Amazon subscription? And oh, wait, the game's on Peacock Plus or or is it Paramount? Mm. You know, do we get Mm. that? Do do I have a know? and sports has moved everywhere and it's created immense confusion. And of course, you know, now we see just the rapid, you know, uh, acceleration of court cutting and, and, you know, RSNs used to have 70, 80 percent distribution into local markets, even more in some cases. And now, you know, it's 30, 40, you know, almost in most places a, you know, a major league baseball team, an NBA team, an NHL team whose primary distribution platform is on a regional sports network, they're reaching less than half of all of the households in the market. In some cases, it's a third of all the households in the market. And that's a problem. If your business model only allows you to reach half or a third of your audience uh, and your potential customers, I think you got a problem. And that's the problem we're trying to solve for now. And we think we
0: have the, the platform to be able to do that. And we'll get an eye on and and your acquisitions and your brilliant strategy in a a second, but overlay what you just said, which was brilliant in its confusion, because that's exactly where it is with the pandemic. And so when you emerge from the back end of the pandemic, you have people scrambling to survive, scrambling to share best practices and scrambling to uh, amalgamate. Uh, And do you find it kind of interesting that the the evolution of the business went from uh, what you described at a at a rapid but but fairly predictable space to this enormous speed of uh, streaming and and the the uh, teams retaining rights and studio capabilities and on and on and on is it is it the you know the media world evolving on steroids what what's going on
1: yeah, I think that's right. I think that you're right that people have spent so much time at home that they had such an appetite to consume so much more content because you couldn't leave the house. And so they started, you know, signing up for all these streaming services. They realized this is all new content and a massive amount of content, but also at the same time, you know, many people were laid off and, and, you know, people, you know, were furloughed and things like that. And they realized I can't afford, you know, this big bundle that I'm paying for anymore. And so I think all of that sort of hit at once, and set up what you're describing that, you know, they found these new platforms and a lot of new content and they subscribe to those things and thus accelerated the cord cutting um, that now really launched the direct to consumer platforms. And, um, but that is what is ultimately arriving at a challenge for the sports teams and leagues to figure out how they, you know, how do they find the masses again? Um, and for the consumer who are also confused and saying, I can't even figure out where you know, my local sports teams are. And it's amazing how many, you know, really good sports fans that I'm friends with who say, I don't watch any of the games because I don't subscribe to a service that provides those games.
0: Yeah. And then so 61 stations and the ION acquisition later, I find it brilliant that your press release refers to 100% of the US TV markets. You can't get any better than that. So you're talking about over the air TV and connected TV. How are you putting all that together? Yeah, look, I think
1: that's the opportunity that we bring, and as we're meeting with teams and leagues, I think they're leaning in and saying, wow, you know, my, my primary distribution now is through regional sports networks, and I'm reaching a third to half of all the households in my market, but we still have over-the-air broadcast, either network at ION or our local channels, that we're on cable, we're on satellite, in many cases we have fast and OTT rights, and we're over-the-air, which means we reach 100% of the households. You know in each market, and so I think that provides a p- tremendous opportunity, not for just the exposure for a team, you know obviously the ability to reach a hundred percent of your households versus forty or fifty means you know the searchability people flipping channels and now oh, you know here's a, a a red's uh you know cardinals game now let me watch that, let me get excited about these new players. Hey, I like that picture. let me watch again and let me watch again um, so you know I think there's you know, a, a lot of opportunity there. But beyond that, if you can engage, you know, two or three times as many people in your, in your yeah. market, then, you know, ticket sales go up, potentially suite sales go up. Now you're selling more merchandise. Now as sports betting's rolling out, you get people more engaged. So the revenue opportunities go well beyond just, hey, you know, my, my games and my 30-second commercials are being viewed by two or three times as many people. I think there's a whole well, new... Opportunity for all the new revenue streams associated with sports.
0: If I'm a team marketing guy or an owner, and I hear Brian Lawler on the other side, what you're selling, I'm buying, now That's all I got to say. And you know, when you think about the process here, you've got a uh, dynamic where you got a lot of clutter. I mean, you know, Sinclair's in the space in some context, but you know, you got Amazon and Google effectively bidding for Sunday Ticket, the NFL, and it's who's got the bigger yeah. billions. But everybody in between. That is gobbling up local rights and generating some unique content. What's your, what will be your unique content proposition?
1: Well, look, I think, you know, it's interesting. I don't think um, there's a lot of people with a lot of money in the space, as you just said. But I think it'll yeah. be interesting to see, for example, you know, the Apple deal with Major League Soccer. Does that wind up being good for soccer for 10 right. years to be behind a paywall, direct to consumer, with very little visibility. I think there's, you know, what, two games a week or something that'll have national you know, broadcast on, on cable. Um, but for the most part, if you don't you know, subscribe to Apple and then subscribe to their you know, soccer package for, what is it, 15 bucks a month, you're not going to be able to stumble onto most games and you're not going to be able to become a, a loyal, raving fan of your local team. And so, um, you know, look, I think our, our propositions, you know, Pretty straightforward. We reach 100% of households in our markets, whether it's with Ion or with its our over-the-air channels. And it's our ability to create reach, and that reach will open up new fans for any team or league. And as I said, there's a lot of now business models that can be built, new business opportunities off of having full reach. And you know, beyond that, you know, Scripps is a content company. We're a journalism company. We're 144 years old. I think we have one of the best reputations. You know, in uh, broadcast news in America. And so we're content creators. And so a partnership with us isn't just about us um, you know, broadcasting your games and, and you know, uh, negotiating for rights. I think you know, our interest is in being partners with people. Let's create content. Let's reimagine what a business relationship between a media company and a sports team is. And let's build businesses and new revenue streams off of that relationship. And uh, I think and the exposure we have through you know our big you know over-the-air broadcast generals, I think, provides a lot of opportunity beyond just broadcasting games.
0: And I presume your experience at Scripps in acquiring local sports rights, whether it was the HBCU yeah. or or the big squ- yeah. Sky or NWSL, yeah. will give you the ability to figure out how to do that as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, again, you know, local uh, sports rights aren't new to Scripps. This isn't a new you know, while we we're kind of putting ourselves out as you know this new division, the reality is, you know, we have a lot of the Monday night football rights that we've negotiated from Disney. We formed a partnership with Amazon, and in I think eleven of our markets, we have the Thursday night games in our local markets. Uh, we do have a bunch of the HBCU. Uh, we are the the broadcast partner and and uh, the uh, media partner to the Big Sky Conference. Um, And that's a great example where the Big Sky Conference previously was with Root Sports, a a, uh, a regional sports network. And we brought that over. And now it's on over-the-air broadcast. And I got to tell you, I was out the weekend before Thanksgiving at the Montana-Montana State football game in Bozeman. And if you remember, ESPN did game day from out there. A beautiful minus-three-degree morning. But it was incredible. And to put that game, think about it. There's no other professional sports in Montana. So you put the biggest game of the year. On over-the-air broadcast, in the five markets that we own TV stations in Montana, our, the lowest household rating we had was 35 households, and it went up to a 42 household across the five markets. We literally, over-the-air delivered Super Bowl ratings uh, in Montana, and I think that's the power of what a over-the-air broadcast network or, or station can do. And it really allows people in a state or a place like Montana to fully connect to the true passion of what is college sports,
0: ladies and gentlemen. Brian Lawler doesn't deliver World Cup numbers, but it's Super Bowl numbers <laughs> and it's Montana numbers relative to Big Sky. Don't fool around with it. A couple of general media questions before we depart. You know, the latest surveys I've seen say about uh, uh, the, the numbers post-pandemic are the 18 to 49 year olds are watching one third as much traditional TV as they did before. That's startling, but there is at the same time about a hundred percent increase in short form videos, are you evolving the platforms and how you deliver content as well?
1: Absolutely. Again, you know, I think, um, you know, we're a a news organization, we're a journalism company, and obviously, you know, we put on local news in you know, all 41 of our local markets, but, you know, mobile, social, digital, OTT, I mean, we, you know, we're not just taking our thirty minute newscasts and putting them that we're recreating. We understand the audience. We understand what it means to engage on with people on Twitter versus on on TikTok versus Facebook. And you know, we have expertise inside of our company that understands who that audience is and how you have to craft and recreate content. And again, I think the same opportunity for sports. I mean, I've got, you know, a twenty-year-old son and an eighteen year old daughter. Um both of them avid sports fans. My daughter's uh, studying sports broadcasting, but you know, the amount of content that they consume, you know, in short form, um, off of a digital or, uh, platform and a, you know, a device that's not a television hanging on a wall is immense. And so we see tremendous opportunity to expand sports brands and, and unique content that's, uh, you know, built
0: for the consumer
1: on a per platform, uh, perspective.
0: We got to do another one of these talk about general media, but just one more kind of final question uh, for now. We've got a whole bunch of uh, newfangled things that are uh, the flavor of the month. and maybe a little longer streaming. How do you monetize streaming? You know, where is the gaming industry relative to media? Uh, The whole e-sport, I know your Misfits Gaming Board uh, position gives you some credibility. What's the biggest factor that you're looking at in the evolution of media over the next couple of years? Look, I think this, the whole topic of this conversation
1: is, is the ability um, for sports to come back to over the air. Um, 95 of the yep. top 100 shows on television this year were live sporting events. And so, um, you know, I think reach uh, and fragmentation is one of the biggest challenges fe- uh, facing uh, professional uh, sports teams. And I think, look, you know, what we're talking about is going back to the future, how I and you grew up and, and consumed sports but the ability to put, you know, live sports over the air uh, for all of the games of the season, reaching 100% of the audience, and then potentially, you know, partner with a streaming service or create a streaming service in partnership with teams and leagues to be able to now, you know, engage with deeper content, unique perspective, as sports betting rolls out, being able to create merchandising, ticketing opportunities, I think, you know, a a top of the funnel and bottom of the funnel solution will create new revenue streams that make this new partnership more valuable than it's ever been.
0: Brian Lawler has some really interesting perspectives about the entire business as Scripps Sports with their significant journalistic background and their ability to take the next step is actually doing so. How about the Sports Gambling Minute? Soft launch could trigger in-person sports betting in Massachusetts by the end of January. The hand-picked commission from the Massachusetts Gaming Council includes a number of people who have been involved in the business, but now the facilities like Plain Ridge Park Casino in Plainville, MGM Springfield, Encore, Boston Harbor, and Everett have also talked about what they're planning to do by Tuesday, January 31, and the executive director says the real-life testing is very important. It allows bettors to plunk down wages ahead of the Super Bowl, not for the NFL's conference championship games two days earlier, though, but largely dependent on the commission's equipment and software testing partner to see what they can actually do long-term as far as international competition, commission standards, and on and on. That's your Sports Gambling Minute. Look at Massachusetts as a major player, effectively starting in February. Next, the Sports Tech Minute. Michael Vick's Web3 Marketplace Fan Field adds former MLB All-Star Jose Canseco to its roster. The Marketplace Fan Field, co-founded by Michael Vick, has added Canseco and will release the first NFT collection this the spring of 2023. He joins Vick and former NFL Pro Bowl running back Adrian Peterson in the Marketplace's burgeoning list of athletes including more than 100 college and professional players. Consumers gain entry into FanField via desktop computers or mobile apps and unlock NFT mystery boxes. In addition, the first FanField MFTs minted in September. At the same time, the marketplace's collegiate athletes began signing collectibles for fans digitally to create authenticity. Yet another NFT uh, company involved in the marketplace. That's your sports tech minute. How about the good sports five? Well, first, it's sad news. Kathy Whit- Whitworth, the legendary LPGA golfer, passed suddenly at 83. Her greatness was underscored by a notion of committing to what you love to do and quote, learn from your mistakes," according to the obituary of the golfer. Salt Bay's World Cup final antics on the pitch being investigated by FIFA. Real name is Musket Go ghosts and seen on the pitch after the final after trying to take selfies with Argentinian players. The Turkish celebrity been known by the pseudonym Salt Bay, and rising to fame on social media, and we'll see where that goes after FIFA's getting involved. The biggest NIL earners in women's sports from 2022, according to Open Doors, which has preempted the field here, including Olivia Dunn, LSU gymnastics with 6.5 million TikTok viewers, others including uh, uh, people like uh, uh, Suni Lee, uh, Auburn Gymnastics, looking ahead to the Paris 2024 events. The Auburn sophomore likely made quite a bit of green to go with her Olympic gold. The others are obvious, and the NIL is involved in women's sports, are very significant. And that's clearly one of the big items. Kansas Superfan charged with armed robbery and a hundred thousand dollar payoff on the Chiefs. Superfan Xavier Michael Babudar dresses in full Wolf costume. Well, he is still given tickets and trusted member in the family, and he needs to be watched as far as the overall issue and the armed robbery charge is concerned. And then finally, youth sports organizer and content platform three step partners with Celebro Sports. Previous tech-focused activity includes a partnership with Blast Motion and the acquisition of training platform Sports Made Personal. Obviously, more of these companies are involved and the philanthropic aspect clearly succeeds. That's our show for this week. We'd like to thank uh, you all for listening. We'd like to thank Brian Lawler for giving of his time. He's got a lot to do with the creation of of script Sports as he is now involved uh, as the president of the company uh, directing its strategy in the future. We'd like to thank all of you for listening and watching coming inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. I'm Riccaro, speak with you soon.